Hello and welcome back to another episode of Under the Lights. We've just had the first game of the season and it seems like we're suffering quite the hangover from last season. My name is Tom Murray. My name is Callum Wilson and this is Under the Lights. So yeah, Callum, take the lead. Looking good. Crumble second half. We've seen it so many times in the last year. Uh, yeah, it's getting... Well, it's already frustrating, really, isn't it? But it's frustrating that the same old habits are there, despite uh, plenty of time during the closed season to try and get things right from last year. We hear Ralph talk about how much they've been working on the defence yet the defence make mistakes that lead to goals again. Um, we're not adapting to our opponents. We're not adapting to um, the game tactically, the momentum shift. We're not using our substitutes until it's too late. I mean, there's nothing that we haven't said before, really. There are no changes um, to what we saw last season. And we are only one game in. Uh, and I know a lot of fans will argue the point with uh, that classic, oh, well, we never win at Everton and we never win on the first day of the season. I don't really subscribe to that bullshit, to be honest. Uh, we, had a, we had an opportunity to beat Everton. I don't care if in decades before our teams have gone up there and not won. This is a different season. This is a different team. I don't. I don't really understand. There will be games and fixtures where our record is not very good. Doesn't mean that we're playing a thirty-seven game season. We should expect to lose every time we go up there, um, and we should expect to lose every time we play our first game of the season. I, I, just, I don't really get that. So, yeah, I, I, I honestly think that that's an opportunity missed because well, we weren't great. But we were the better sides the first half. But I think the vast majority of that was down to the fact that Everton were diabolical. Like they were awful defensively. Saw that for the goal. Well taken by Armstrong, but we saw that for the goal. Literally dithering around on the ball in the middle of your own half until someone tackles you. And then, and then we took our chance clinically. Other than that, I don't really think we troubled them all game. Um, our set pieces were abysmal, which is um, a bit of a worry considering that we've just obviously lost Vestergaard. Seems like without him, we have no aerial threat in the middle. Ward Prowse tried a few things, didn't come off. And that was a huge part of our season last season. Without set pieces, we probably would have got relegated. So I was disappointed because I thought there was an opportunity. I know when we said uh, gave our predictions. We were not expecting Calvert-Lewin or Richarlison to play, and they did. So it did make it harder. But being 1-0 up, away from home at Everton, having not really needed to be at our best, seeing how poor they were, I thought the second half was was an absolute shambles. Yeah, when we came, when we went into half-time, 1-0 up, I thought, you know what, this is good. We're playing, um, we've played some decent stuff. Everton looked like they have no way back into the game at the moment. I thought at that point it's going to take, you know, we're going to have to concede twice to not get anything from this game. And I just cannot see that happening with the way that Everton are playing. And then it seems that at halftime, 
a very experienced manager makes a tweak and we don't react to it and we find ourselves level two minutes into the second half from some shambolic defending. It's both people arguing, is it McCarthy's fault? Is it Salisu's fault? They're both at fault. As a defender, you don't let the ball drop in the six-yard box. As a goalkeeper, if you see the ball coming towards your goal and there's an opportunity to come and grab it, you go and get it. So they're both at fault. It was an abysmal goal to concede against Richarlison, who always seems to score against us. Very annoying player, um, especially considering the blatant dive in the first half. Yes, he got booked for it, but that's just the kind of player that he is. Um, but it's a sign of a player that just wanted it more. And Salisu will be a good player, but at the moment it just shows and reminds us that he is still young, he is raw, and he will still make mistakes. Um, but you know, it was it was night and day. The first half we looked controlled, we looked played some really nice stuff. Could have been a couple of goals up. Armstrong looked really lively. Um, but yeah, second half we might we may as well have just not come out onto the pitch, and unfortunately. We've seen that so many times in the last 20 games or so that we play well in the first half, second half, make a change, someone makes a change and it's like we might as well have just not turned up. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the first half we were in, were in control. I do think a lot of that was down to the fact that Everton were really, really poor. If Everton fans were looking at that performance, they would say, look, first half, we were lucky to only be at 1-0. And fortunately, we were only playing Southampton because they didn't have the quality of other teams that would have really punished us. We we didn't take that opportunity. You know, we had good possession. We had good spells. We, we looked like we were really organised uh, and con in control. We didn't look worried. There were a couple of times where we put ourselves under pressure. Romeo kind of uncharacter uncharacteristically maybe giving the ball away when he's trying to pass it to a full-back and doesn't see an Everton player. And, and, and those were the kinds of things, crosses into the box, but nothing really to trouble McCarthy in goal. So we go in first half and, and we've managed to get that goal. You know, we should, it could have gone in nil-nil, but there was a huge mistake and we pounced on it. And it was a brilliant finish from Armstrong. And I'm really glad to see him get off the mark because that's important. We've seen it with the likes of Che Adams, how... The longer you go without a league goal, it can affect you. That's a huge positive. And I thought the two of them did look good. Although we didn't create a lot, I think Adams was a real handful in the first half. Didn't seem to lose a header. Uh, how much of that's down to the fact that six foot three, four centre-backs behind him were, were not where a header. You know, you, you look at it either way, but he was a handful. And then off the ball, I thought they both worked really hard. So that was good. But on the ball, we lacked creativity. You mentioned at halftime the manager making the changes. Uh, well, one manager making changes. Uh, he did, but that the goal, the equaliser wasn't as a result of that. The equaliser, no, no. everything came out with impetus. They obviously got a rollick in at halftime because they were poor. Benitez set them out there and they were in the ascendancy. They had urgency from the kickoff. Uh, they won a succession of corners. And, and the, the last one of those, we conceded from. Um, and it was poor defending. I have, I have an element of um, empathy with the defence because that, that goal, had Perot not been on the floor, that goal would have been offside because Salasu would have gone up. I think Salasu was in two minds 
Uh, I'll watch it back again, but I, I think he's in two minds. And I think in some ways he's quite intelligent because he notices Perot's on the floor. Therefore, when everyone is automatically, look, we've headed the ball out of the box, they're coached to, to step up and get out. And most of them do that. I think Salas, who's next to Perot, sees him on the floor and thinks, if I step forward completely uh, to, to play offside, it's not going to be offside because our, our defender is on the floor. And Richarlison, he has that dis- that defensive instinct. You know, he was all over Count Lewin in the first half. Uh, I thought he was really good in the first half. But I, I think he ends up a bit in no man's land because he's halfway between pushing up, but also then realising that we can't play offside. Once the ball does get headed back in by Townsend, and it is so simple, he's just nodded it back into an area and... It's an area that almost everyone's vacated. And then it goes over to Salisu's head. He, he just seems confused at that point. I don't know whether he's, he's still on the front foot thinking about playing the offside. I don't know if he's expecting his goalkeeper to get it. But that ball should not go over his head. And that's the mistake that, that he has made. Um, you know, I don't want to make excuses because at the end of the day, he has to deal with it. But they're coached to push up and get out. I think he's noticed that he's got a defender on the floor who's not going to get out in time. Therefore, he's, he's, he's fair play to him for still being in the area. It's once he's in that area and the ball goes over his head, he doesn't deal with it. He allows Richardson to come in. McCarthy, he's, he seems to be the scapegoat at the moment. I don't know if you can massively criticise him because the header has come back in, but it's not central. It's to the left, uh, to the left of the goal as Townsend attacks it. So I think for McCarthy to, I think he's expecting Salisu to deal with it. You know, he's not going to get over there in time to easily collect it. And Richarlison comes in and takes um, takes the gift, and and that is a huge moment because the longer we weathered that storm, if we could have got through that 10-15 minutes at the beginning of the half and still kept it at one nil. Goodison would have ramped up negatively. There would have been frustration. We would have been drawing them onto us. And we and we might have been able to see a bit of that quick transition because that's the game we were playing. We've seen it in pre-season. We've talked about it. So that is disappointing from that respect. Two minutes into the second half and we concede a goal from a set piece, but in a strange kind of way. I can accept that. What what I struggle to accept is what happened after that. Yeah, it was a complete implosion. Um, and, you know, Everton wave after wave of attack. And then what annoyed me is we started to get a bit of control in the game, you know, that they they didn't get the second goal quickly. And we sort of managed to get our footing back in the game. We had a couple of chances where Adams really should have taken the shot. Um Jenepo frustrates me, I think, as he has done throughout his entire Saints career in the way that he did take people on down the left. And when he did get to the byline, I know it's a bit of a lottery if you pull it back to because there were so many bodies in the box. But the fact that he didn't find a player once when he did cut back to the byline or it went out for a goal kick really frustrated me. I thought there was a good link up with Perot at one point. There was a good, um, I thought that that was a, that was a good move, although I think Perot didn't have the best of games. He reminds me a little bit of Cedric in the terms of not just the stature, but also in the way that Everton were managing to just knock balls over his head at ease, pretty much, to the the winger. And 
the thing that frustrated me the most is Walcott didn't do anything in the second half and it was clear that he wasn't doing anything and having no impact on the game. And after months and months of complaining that we have no squad depth and yeah. that, you know, I want to bring in squad depth because that's where we can make, that's the time where you make a change. And to have your most, your strongest bench, your most stacked bench in a long, long time. And when you have arguably the be one of the best players in the team on the bench in Stuart Armstrong, a man who can be a like-for-like -like replacement with Walcott and have some impetus on the game because he will collect the ball and he'll drive forward. Yeah, he's not, um, you know, doesn't do much defensively at times, but he also, but neither does Walcott. There's not a lot of tracking back. But you use the bench. You change the game then to wait for 10 to 10 minutes to go when you're already 2-1 down and just make like-for-like -like changes is is criminal, really. You can't complain about not having squad depth, squad depth for half a year. And then when you finally have your strongest bench, you don't actually use it to change the game at a point where you could maybe get the upper hand. That's what I can't forgive for that game. It was um, yeah. really, really bad. Yeah, I, th I think that's a, a, the main talking point. Um, I know you're just getting into it. What we'll do is we'll, let's go through the other two goals and how the game played out, and then we'll discuss the managerial side because there's there's the lack of changes but there's also the starting lineup which uh, I said at the time didn't make any sense to me um so so it's 1-1 and for me for the next 10 to 15 minutes we are getting absolutely battered wave after wave after wave of attack the ball goes up the pitch comes back to us we're screaming out I looked at the clock at 55 minutes and I was like, bloody hell, have we only played 10 minutes? 10 minutes ago, we were 1-0 up in control and they've scored and I don't know how they're not 2-1 up already. It's only been 10 minutes. We need to change something. And now how many times do we say we need to change something? And it was, it was clear to me that you just bring on Armstrong and Teller. Um, but anyway, we'll get into that. So, so we're getting battered. And we, you're right, we did get sort of foothold in the game in, in the fact that we, we became competitive again. It wasn't an onslaught, but we still didn't trouble them, I didn't feel. We still didn't, no. you know, Gineppo, Gineppo was a bright spark for me, but you're right in what you say. You know, I, I thought he was really, really good with his feet. Technically, he worried, um, he worried Coleman on a number of occasions. And he kept getting into the box and to the byline, which was what you want your winger to do because it gets into that dangerous situation. What he then does is he hesitates a little bit and, and is looking to pick his pass because he's in the box. You don't want him to just pass it to nowhere. And it's almost like he hesitates deliberately to try and draw a defender out and then try and play it into a space. But what kept happening was... He, he didn't beat that first man. He, he kind of took it past someone, got to the byline, fainted to pass it, and then Coleman or Keane or Holgate or someone would would come and meet him. And as he passed it, it he, would, he would essentially cross it and it would deflect off them for a corner a number of times. But these corners, we, we did absolutely jack shit with them. So, um, yeah, I, I liked what Gineppo did. What he was doing with Perot as well, an understanding was coming through there. Really nice football down that side to carve them open over and over again. Just needs to pick someone out in the box. Um, 
but I liked, I did like what I saw from them. They were encouraging signs, I felt, more so than maybe in previous seasons. Um, but, yeah, apart from that, we really didn't create much. Uh, nothing was coming from Walcott. Occasionally, we'd have a counter-attack that would peter out. And then the Decore goal, you know, it's a great finish. But, again, edge of the box, twists and turns. He can't be allowed to get the shot in. You know, it's, it's, it's standard rules. You don't, don't let him get the shot away. Once he did, it was in the top corner. Um, Alex McCarthy got a hand to it. Can you blame him for the goal? It was in the top corner. At the time, I sort of thought maybe he could have got across quicker. By the end of the day, if someone fires it in the top corner, then I, I suppose, you know, whether you get a touch or not, you can't lay blame there. And then, um, and then the third goal came, which was a nice move down Everton's right. Um, they played it again down towards the byline and the cross came in and Calvert-Lewin was free. I mean, you've got one centre forward and Salisu had dealt with him pretty much all game. You know, that's his sort of game, a physical battle. He dealt with him all game. And in this instance, we got, they played good football. We got pulled out of position. Perot came to the ball. Um, Salisu had to follow Richarlison into the channel. Richarlison managed to cross it before Salisu got to him, unlike what Gineppo was doing. And Jack Stevens um, did his usual and, and fell asleep in the box. Uh, and, and that's why Jack Stevens is not good enough to play in the Premier League, because he has to be aware that his centre-back partner has left the area and you need to get goal side of the one threat that they have in the box. And if you watch it again, he falls asleep. And, and as a centre-back, oh, it's just not good enough at, at any level. Uh, and people moaning about McCarthy, again, I don't subscribe to the fact that it's a howler because he didn't save a bullet header from two yards away from him. He put himself in the best position he could, made himself big, and almost pulled off a really, really top save by doing that. Unfortunately, it hits his arm, kind of bounces back up and goes in off him. Um, and it, you know, potentially could be seen as an own goal. But yeah, again, you know, all three goals we could have done something about and we didn't. No, we didn't. And then that was the point where, or was it before the third goal? Either way, it was around that time. I think I remember at that point, Nathan Redmond and Nathan Teller coming on and you're relying mm -hmm. on Nathan Redmond to change the game with two, two goals down. And it was a case of, yeah, if you're going to bring him on, you bring him on before the second goal comes in because... Yeah, he got the ball, lost it a few times, took it forward. Teller, I mean, Teller would have probably been, I mean, we'll talk about the first, the, the team sheet, but Teller must be must be thinking, hang on, I've been the star of pre-season and then suddenly mm. I'm not, I'm, I'm getting... Well, let's, let's talk about the team sheet then, let's talk about it because I, I would be absolutely gobsmacked if any person on Twitter or any Saints fan had guessed that this would be the lineup. Um I don't, I, I don't think anyone saw Carl Walker-Peters getting dropped. No. I don't think... There were some people that... I saw a lot of Stevens over Bednarak, but I think people realised that ben, Bednarak had... Um, he's just had just a had, child, so, yeah. It was... Hadn't been... Yeah, people moaning that, oh, well, if he's on the bench, then why can't he play? He could have played, but I guess, you know, in terms of the tactical setup, he hasn't been there for the few days before the game, so he, he's not clued up where Stevens was. So I get that. Uh, Walcott, I didn't have anywhere near the starting eleven, um, 
And, you know, Gineppo, I thought, might play, but not ahead of Teller. I thought I thought Armstrong might not quite have made it in time to come into the squad, but, but he did, and, and he took his goal well. So, and then McCarthy, you know, is 50-50 in goal, I suppose, but me and you both thought Forster. So mm. I'd say five out of those 11 were, were semi-surprises for us. So I yeah. felt like we went into this game, and I know we have a squad to use now, but our squad isn't that good. We can't, not that we can afford to be playing a sub-par team. You put your best 11 on the pitch, and I felt like this was almost like a cup team. Yeah, like like a, like a team where we we we're not playing a complete second eleven, but we're playing kind of a mixture of the two. Mm. Yeah, we've got some first teamers out there, and then we've got some squad players. Looking at that team now, that's how that feels. Um, and 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 at the time, I, I saw that, and I was really surprised because I thought, okay, maybe an odd change here and there. You know, maybe Armstrong does make it into the, um, Adam Armstrong does make it into the side. Maybe Redmond might play instead of Gineppo or something like that. But not to have McCarthy, I don't know if he's his first choice or if he's just going to do that stupid rotation thing again. But McCarthy, Stevens to a a point, Livermento at right back instead of Walker-Peters, Walcott and Gineppo and Armstrong ahead of Teller is... um, were, were all surprises to me. Uh, and it, it was great to see Armstrong and Adams up front, but I don't for the life of me understand why Stuart Armstrong and Nathan Teller aren't playing on the wings for us. And what on earth Carl Walker-Peters has done. You know, Livermento played well, and we know that we have a nice problem at fullback now where we were weak. Mm. But I'm just so surprised that Carl Walker-Peters, who's been one of our best players since he signed for us, can lose his place in the space of a couple of weeks. You know, he said, Ralph said it's about what he's seen in training. And obviously, he really rates this lad Liveramento. But I, 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 he has to find a way to get him and Walker-Peters in the side because we're not good enough to have Carl Walker-Peters on our bench. Simple as that. No. And we're not good enough to have Armstrong and Teller on our bench either. Well, the thing is, it was the omission of... You know, you take Ings and Vestergaard away and Armstrong and Walker-Peters are our two best players from last season, well, and, and Ward Prowse, but you know, he, Prowse, he, yeah. he, if he was, if he was fit, he's in the starting lineup, then we are happy to see him there, even though he wasn't firing on all cylinders. But with, um, with, with Armstrong and Walker Peters, I can't understand the remission. I, like you said, it's nice to have that problem and Livermento, obviously he had a good game. I have no problem with Livermento as a talent himself. I thought he looked good on the ball, uh, very calm in possession, took players on. He did a very nice bit of skill down the right side to get past and then pull the, pull the cross back. Um, so I have no problem with him playing, but I think if you, you can't drop your most consistent performer in the last year, we're not in the position that we can do that. And if you want to play both of them, play Livermento further forward don't have don't have Walcott you know if you want to throw if you want to have both of them in you have them both on the same side and build up that understanding because they're both going to be here you hope for a good number of years and you think that they could form a partnership I see Livermento playing further forward in his career almost in not to the extent of you know the way Gareth Bale moved forward but I see him more as an attacking threat he looks very good defensively but I think that that is you know that could be something that could work um but to have Jennifer and Walcott as our as our two wingers, I felt really 
I was really disappointed because we saw numerous times last season and especially in the first game of last season where we had, um, I think it was uh, Redmond and Smallbone. Two play Redmond had been underperforming, Smallbone didn't fit that bit. And I think if you don't have the right players on those two positions, then our attack is... Well, it's basically it has no no blade to it whatsoever. And Armstrong, he is, and Stuart Armstrong, he is our best player at bringing the ball forward and play, playing between those lines. Whereas Jennifer and Walcott are very much kick and run down the down the channel yep. and hope to get a ball in. And if we're being completely honest, the only time that we did have an attack, the goal aside from the goal, the only attack that I can remember us actually creating was I still think was just a hopeful ball over the top that Armstrong actually volleyed from a very acute angle and was it was a good it was yeah. a good shot, but he's not going to score from it. I can't actually remember a chance that I've got off my seat and thought, oh, that was a chance. That was something that we should have that's something we should have scored. The uh, the I mean, I didn't actually watch the goal go in. I saw the celebrations. I didn't see the goal go in because I thought it came out of absolutely nothing. And aside yeah. from that, there was no moment where I got up and thought, oh, this is the chance, this is the chance. We didn't create anything. No. So I would say don't, don't be fooled by the fact that we were winning at half time, Because mm. what essentially what we did was the we took our only chance against an Everton side that were playing Dreadfully. like a bunch of circus. They, they were awful defensively, not just because of the goal. Every time it came anywhere near Keane or Holgate, they were slicing the ball up into the air. They were all you know, giving it away. Their, their midfielders giving it away at every opportunity. You know, we did well off the ball, but we, we still only created one chance against them. And so that's how bad we were. And then they came out second half and they weren't amazing. They just weren't really, really shit this time. Yeah. And, we, and we couldn't deal with it. No. Which is a massive, massive, massive worry because we should be putting sides that play like that. Everton are you know, a decent side, but it, the way they played in the first half, we should be we should be putting them to the sword. We shouldn't allow ourselves to have to worry about defending a one-goal lead, you know. And 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 it might sound a bit greedy, but one there wasn't good enough. No, for the half. we didn't we didn't take advantage of their really slow start. Um, the second half, it came back to bite us. I completely agree with you um, with the wingers. A, a, a question I want to ask you, just based on what you were saying with those two wingers, do you think that Ralph Arsenal played those two wingers with uh, because he had a negative mindset going into the game? And what I mean by that is, rather than doing his sort of usual of let teams worry about us. It seems like those two wingers are putting the team to do a job defensively on Dina and Coleman, but then have the pace to be involved in counter-attacks. Those are not... If you want to go at a team and get goals, Armstrong and Teller are you guys, right? To yeah. play out there. Gineppo, we know he, he sort of half fancies him in a left-back role, which is a mystery to me. And then Walcott, again, he tracks back and he does a good job for the team. I can only imagine that was what's in his mind uh, going into that, is trying to, to stop Everton in the wide areas with the overlaps. Um, and we did mention that that might be the case, certainly on the right-hand side with, with Dinia. But I, I still think we've got players that can do that job. Teller will run all day. 
And, and Armstrong, as much as you said, maybe he doesn't defend well, he, he still works hard for the team and he still and he still gets back. And he has that understanding with Walker Peters. That right-hand side was was essentially brand new for us. Um, so so we don't agree with the side, but then at 1-0 at half-time, you can't have, although I've just had many gripes, you can't have too many gripes with what the result currently stands at. And you think, OK, well, Ralph's... Ralph's got us to 1-0, or, or Everton have helped get us to 1-0. Um, and then in the second half, that first 10-15 minutes, I, th- I feel like any other manager in the Premier League would have made changes by the 60th minute. Mm. Usually 60 minutes is about the time to make the subs, but we were so backs against the wall. It was a matter of, it seemed like a matter of time before they would score. They didn't. Fortunately, we weathered it a little bit and then we kind of got, I say, back into the game. Like I said, we just weren't getting battered. And Ralph seemed to use that excuse as, oh, the players got themselves back into the game. I just don't know if if he sees the use of substitutions completely differently to us. He seems to want to give the players on the pitch every opportunity to win a football match. and, and it seems like he's thinking of it from a from a position of, I don't want to take anyone off if they if they look like they there's no reason to take them off. They might they might do the job for me. They might get us over the line. Whereas that's not the case. The the reason you moaned so much last season about having no bench is because you need to make a move to win us the game or to stop us from losing the game. You need to tactically think. We're getting absolutely battered here. How do I change it? How do I prevent us from going 2-1 down? Not let's wait till the 80th minute when we go 2-1 down and then make a couple of changes. That's a load of bollocks. And to be honest, I think, I think he bottled it because he, he, it seems like the changes we would have made would have been attacking, right? We would have subbed those two wingers who were good going backwards and we would have put on Teller and Armstrong. And that would leave us maybe a little bit susceptible to getting attacked by, by the fullbacks. But we were getting attacked anyway. We were so deep. Why, why are we not putting players up there? I thought Teller, because we saw it in pre-season, we've seen it before, he's a massive outlet. If we're getting battered and you clear the ball, he, he could probably make something of it, right? Mm-hmm. So... It, it, it seemed really odd to me that we wouldn't start with our best players, but also we wouldn't bring on Armstrong and Teller when the tide had clearly turned and we needed to give ourselves some momentum again. And again, that's just classic harshness, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we have a problem with the starting lineup and we have a problem with the substitutions. It's all, it all just looked very strange for the first day of the season, especially, and I can, you know, in answer to what you said earlier, I can only think that he has used Jennifer and Walcott just as, you know, he expects us to be under the cosh and Everton to, to to be dominating the first half. And we just need some bit of speed to get away very quickly. And we do have that with Jennifer and Walcott. But Jennifer was more of a shock to me, his inclusion, than Walcott, because I think that Walcott is, as we said, uh, in the previous episode, where's that experienced head? And Walcott is one of those that can be on the pitch. Jennifer. I don't know how we got ahead of Teller. He's If he's going to have an impact this season, it's got to have to be off the bench, unfortunately. He's just not in that position where we can be starting him at the moment. Um, he's far too erratic. 
Um, but yeah, it was just it was just so frustrating. I thought I saw the minutes tick by and I thought, okay, now we're gonna make a change. Now we're gonna change something up. And it kept on going by, kept on going by, and then we do go two one down, and then the substitutions came. And I just thought these are just like for like replacements, they're not gonna change the game. They're not just gonna felt like, just felt like the the two one goal for Everton was was coming. It was gonna happen. Mm. Even when we got back into the game, the longer we didn't make subs, the more changes they were making. They, they were going to end up getting taking the lead. And it, I'm just sick of reaction subs as opposed mm. to the proactive ones of thinking, you know what, how do we stop it before it happens? How do we maybe, maybe we could go and score a goal. You know, how, how about that for a, for a, yeah, a you're, uh, you're thinking too, you're thinking far too out the box there, mate. You can't be, you can't be throwing those kind of things around on, uh, on this podcast. Score another goal. Yeah, it's a game changer, isn't it? God, there's, there's, there's two goals on this pitch. Maybe we could attack one. But uh, it, uh, yeah, it, it just, it just seemed to me the teller thing, the Armstrong thing just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The teller thing, I can only imagine that he doesn't trust him in one of those wide 10 positions. Because he seems to have overcomplicated these wide tens. No one else plays with these wide tens. They're wingers if you play a four-four-two, um, and and it seems that players need to be specifically trained in how they work. And he said, or well, he hasn't said, but there's strong rumours that he's been playing him up front in training. Teller, he played there in the pre-season games, uh, the game against Levante that we were at, and it just seems to me like. He, he is an option as a striker and he chose to go with a new signing Armstrong with Jay Adams. So that's why he didn't play. Um, just looking who he came on for. Although he came at, towards the end, he came on for Walcott. So, so you know, and, and I guess we're changing, we're chasing the game at that point. So he's a bit more caution to the wind. But it, it, I, I would back Teller to play in that left-hand side over yeah. anyone that have. Um, let's park that for a second then and um let's have a look at some positives because you know we've lost 3-1 and as is the case when it's the manager's fault and we've seen it all before feel like we're doing a podcast similar to the last 10 that we did last season where we were kind of just wanted a break wanted something to pick us up something good to talk about um there were there are some promising signs uh armstrong got his goal and it was really well taken. It was clinical. I actually thought he'd put it over at first. He was one on one, and he hit it so high. I thought, yeah, you've missed a sitter. But actually, it shows real confidence that he's taken that on the way he has. And you know, the likes of Danny Ings, he would he would have toe poked that probably through the goalie's legs, or you know, it would have been as emphatic. So um, I'm I'm happy. And, and when with the way he played, he looked a live wire. Just re- we didn't really get much service. Him and Adams looked to have a good thing going on, and Adams looked really good. And I'm hoping he can consistently keep that up. And although we said Walker Peters should be playing, uh, Liveramento did look really handy, and he's he's really good with his feet. He's really quite skillful, which does lend me lead me to think maybe his attributes are lended further up the pitch. Mm. Right, right wing, for instance. I, w- I wouldn't be against seeing him play on that right hand side and then Armstrong uh, off the left or something like that. Maybe try it, at, it maybe, maybe maybe put him there for the Newport game or something. Just to try, I, I think he will play against yeah. Newport, so it'd definitely be a good opportunity for him to show uh, show what he's got further forward. Yeah, 
But those those were my positives. You know, Livermento looks a good player. He looks the sort of player that we hoped he he, he would, um, and he will play football matches for us. I just don't think it should be at the expense of, of Walker Peters. Um, and then the front two were good and, and, and a really well taken goal. A- anything you'd want to add to that? I, I would also say Salasu handled that one on one with Calvert Lewin well. I, I, I felt like he was he was really strong um, and he and he really took on that responsibility. Um, he seems to be a little bit overzealous, at yeah, time, like a dog with a bone a little bit, maybe too tight. Allows Calvert Lewin to dive all over the place like he was doing, which I thought was ridiculous. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I feel like that side of his game was really good. He was given a job, and they were like, "Right, you're gonna, you're gonna handle him on the first ball, Stevens. You should be sweeping." And I feel like he took that on well. And we've seen also he can read the game well. So, so it was good to see that kind of physical side of him um, on display as well. Yeah, I can't really add much to that. Obviously, it's very, very good finish from Armstrong. It's very good that he's now sort of off and running, as it as it were. Great to get that goal. An emphatic finish, as you said. Um, he could have easily, you know, you're given a chance of getting your first Premier League goal and you have so much time on the ball and you're, it's only you and the goalkeeper and you could get scared and completely fluff it. But he's finished it emphatically into the top corner. So, I mean... He's a, he's a confident bloke, is Adam Armstrong. And that's... that's what, <clears throat> exactly. And that's what we need. That's what we need. There was no... What I loved about the goal, and I know you've spoken about it, but it was just the fact that he had already decided where he was going to put it. One touch, bang, into the top corner. Not a, ca- not a case of like, we see some players, you know, try and maybe like hover the foot, like trying to give the goalkeeper the eyes and then stick it the other way. No. Had it in his mind bang, put his foot through it, straight into the top corner, great finish, and we see the arms out in front of the Everton fans. Um, I, th- I don't think that was meant to be provocative, it's just his celebration, so he does it, whoever, yeah. whoever. But You've seen that, hopefully. Exactly, exactly. So he's, uh, he's, uh, he's off and running, very quick, um, you know, when you're taking shots powerfully, also from about an angle of two degrees, uh, that's a sign of a confident player as well. And it was a well-hit volley on his uh, weak foot. Never, It was never going in because Pickford is very good at his front post, but the fact that he's got the confidence and the ability to hit it from there. Um, Blackburn fans have said that he, he does shoot about 10 times a game. You know, he is, if he gets the opportunity to shoot rather than pass, then that's what he'll do. He's a goal scorer in, in, in that respect. So I suppose, you know, sounds quite similar to the way that Harry Kane plays. If he has the opportunity yeah. to I shoot think- on the right, he will. That's what we need, though, for last season, and especially in the game when he didn't get the ball. So many of our players are hesitant to shoot. We need someone who just needs to put his foot through it. Yeah, it might get annoying if he it takes five shots and he hasn't scored from any of them, but I'd rather a player have a shot in a decent position than um, us try and pass it around the box just to try and get an angle. We, it's been so frustrating. Um, aside from Salisu and Livermento, I will say in the first half especially, we did look confident on the ball, and there were some really nice passages of play. Um, I know we didn't create anything from them, but in terms of just controlling possession in the middle when we, when Everton were poor, we were running rings around them. We were playing some really nice football. The players looked like they understood each other. Obviously, that went to pot when the second half came about. Um, but there was some, there was there were positive signs, and it was only in the first forty-five because the second half is a complete write-off. But it's difficult to take positives from the first day of the season where you've been where you've just seen the same story over and over and over again. But um, 
there are the makings of, you know, we will beat teams this season. Whether we'll beat enough is a different question. Yes. Um, but we it, we do, look, let's not forget, Everton are a, a good team. Um, they will win quite a few games, especially with a, a tactically clever manager in Benitez. Um, let's not forget, they've got Kyle Butler and they've got Richarlison. They've got some really good players in their team. So they're not going to be in any danger of going down. It's a difficult away fixture. It's just very disappointing because for that game, especially, they were there for the taking. And I think that's what was really the most frustrating thing is they didn't have to be good to beat us. Move, moving on then, we've uh, we've got the um, simple task of taking on Man United at home who have just uh, absolutely romped to 5-1 victory against Leeds. They look fantastic. Look like they've got goals at every angle. They're next up for Saints. How important is it that Saints get off the mark at some point soon because you mentioned it there we'll get wins but will we get enough and for the first time in a little while I feel that way I'm looking at teams like Watford getting a win Brentford getting a win first day of the season I'm already thinking oh they've got something I just don't see in us at the moment and I know we're only one game in and we do have good players and we will have our days but I just look at the fixtures and Man United at home is going to be tough for anyone at the moment then we have Newcastle away. That is an opportunity for us to get a win. That Again. game there that you've mentioned there is I know we have a terrible record, but for me, I'm looking at our fixtures. We have to get something there. If we don't get anything there, then I think we're going to be... We're, I, 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 can't, I can't actually see where the next win comes from because you've got West Ham. They look phenomenal. Wolves are going to be difficult to beat. Manchester City away is a write-off. As is um, Chelsea. Probably. So, yeah. yeah, the Newcastle one's a big one. And and similar to the Everton fixture, we, we never seem to get anything there. But that doesn't mean that we can't. Mm. You know, I hate watching us away at Newcastle because Newcastle are so crap every season. Yet we seem to make their front players look phenomenal. Fantastic. You know, and, and Wilson and St. Maximan will cause us problems. But we'll talk about that in a future one. But, yeah, the, the point being that if we lose to Man United, which I think is... Is likely, likely, if you're looking at this as a neutral um, or even as a Saints fan, then you have Newcastle away, West Ham at home. I, I feel like we should be getting something from those from those two games. West Ham are good, but we, you know, they're beatable. West Ham aren't this. You know, they had a good season last season. They're more organised and they're in a good place. They've got they've got talent all across the pitch, but so have we. And, and at St Mary's, we should be competing in that game. So I feel like games three and four, we, we need to be getting off the mark again. Because then we've got Man City away, which is just... Oh, we, it's two hopes we've got there. Bob and no. And then Wolves at home is one where we should be targeting again. But we could lose our first five games and be bottom of the table by the time Wolves come to uh, St Mary's at the end of September, which is a which is a worry. I don't want to look that far ahead because we could get something against Man United suddenly. And, you know, stranger things have happened. We could win our next two or three games. But judging by that Everton game, I just don't see where it's going to happen. Let's, what, what do you think in terms of the lineup? Because I don't know about you, but I'm kind of sick and tired of trying to... Um, get in the mind of Arsenal and think what he might do 
A, because that seems to be, it seems to either be overthinking or underthinking it, um, and there's no predicting it. And B, I just, I just don't agree with what he's doing. So from, from our perspective, regardless of what Arsenal wants to do, how would you approach this game? Um, um, and would you approach it with a different formation? I'd approach it in a way that we don't get absolutely trounced. Um, I don't see us getting anything from the game. And I think it will be a case of trying to get into the Newcastle game with our goal difference, not absolutely horrendous. Not that goal difference makes much of a difference at this point of the season. But I'm just thinking in front of Saints fans, the likes of Varane, Sancho, Fernandez has already got a hat trick. They're, they, I know Leeds, I know that Leeds play in a particular style where they leave themselves incredibly open at the back, but that's an intentional way that they play. With us, you we could be we could set up with five at the back and they'd still have several acres to wander in defensively. You know where we are, you know where we are as a club is that if we concede a couple of early goals, everyone will be shitting themselves because it's happened. Twice in two seasons, it happened to Man United last against Man United last year. They, Man United against Leeds, who are a damn sight better than us, looked like scoring every time they attempted to. They look they look so good going forward. They're probably the last team you want to face at the moment going off that first game. Yeah. And they didn't have Sancho playing, they didn't have Cavani, they didn't have others. I I'm worried that that put next to our lack of form, our poor defence and our tactically um, lacking manager, uh, dodgy keeper at times, I, my, I'm, I'm worried for us that we're going to get smashed. But the difference between us and any other team is that you get smashed, but we'd be happy with anything that doesn't reflect a nine nil again and I don't want to be that guy and, and, and mention that but we're, we're probably the only team where if we lose six nil and we've been battered by a team we'll breathe a huge sigh of relief because that is there in our minds that's in the manager's mind that's in the players minds and if everything else is to go by we don't seem to learn our lessons under Ralph Harsin at all these players don't seem to learn their lessons and you know they, they talk a good game but when it comes down to it, they're, they're bottlers. And, and, and what I want to see from this team is some leadership, some balls and some fight. And if we do go down early against Man United by a goal or two, I don't want us to roll over. I don't want St Mary's to start getting eerie and, and worried and anxious. And I don't want to see us retreating and getting outplayed. I want to see someone absolutely fucking nail Fernandez. I want to see someone go up for a header and take out Maguire. I want, you know, someone to barge Sancho off the pitch. I want us to get into them and to not be afraid to play some football and preferably not lose a player to a red card in the first 10 minutes. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I want to see, I want to see some a reaction. I want to see some attitude and I want to see a side that, I know you don't want to concede goals, but I want to see a side that is going to take it to Man United from the off. And I, I want to put them on the back foot because Man United are not the finished article defensively. 
and as good as they look going forward, that's where you beat Man United. I don't, I don't think you draw nil-nil with Man United. I don't think that you're going to get that against that team. I think you have to cause them some problems. So Gineppo and, Arms, uh, Gineppo and Walcott are not necessarily the way to go for me. Saying that, I'm done with this 4-2-2-2 bollocks. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work in this league. Don't care where it's worked before. It does not work in this league. You rarely play with um, a team that doesn't have three in the middle. And poor old Walprouse and Romeo are always going to be overrun. And I just feel like our team looks better, looks more balanced, looks better on paper. And in reality, we'll be more competitive if we're playing with a third man in there. Yeah, I I would actually not not necessarily go five at the back, but I'd maybe go for the... Uh... The, the banks of two, three, one, with maybe Armstrong as the outlet because Armstrong. Yeah, I agree with you. He he looks like an absolute terrier. He looks like Shane Long, but can finish in terms of he will run at defenders. He will um, harry them and caught and pressure. But I would, I probably, I would probably have for for Man United um, because I don't want to be. Two outs and out attacking. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm tempted to either have Romeo and Diallo behind Ward Prowse, but then that seems a bit too defensive and pushing Ward Prowse a bit too further forward. So I would probably be tempted just to have what a lot of people will expect would be Romeo, Ward Prowse, and Stuart Armstrong in front of them, and then just two wide players. But have Romeo especially just sit in front of the defence. Maybe Ward Prowse a tiny bit further forward when we do go on the attack, um, but just so that we can give that defence some protection because otherwise, as you said, with the 4-2-2-2, we just get completely overrun in the middle. And yeah. when your two midfield two, two midfielders are not playing at the level that they should be, like we saw against Everton, when, when, when both of them aren't at it, then you might as well not have anyone in the middle of the park. Um, so for me, I think you have to... Armstrong has to start. Both, sorry, both Armstrongs have to start against Man United. Um I would have, uh, I would, on the other wing, I'd go, I'd go for, I'd go for Teller, Livermento I'd drop to the bench. I know he did well, but Walker Peters has the experience and I, I, I would keep him. Um, let's not forget the when we did get absolutely rinsed by Man United, we had Kane Ramsey at right back and they were going. Who would, who would you play on the other, on the other wing then? I'm intrigued because you have to drop one of the front two in order to facilitate mm. this formation. I would, I might get battered for this, but I'd almost play Nathan Redmond at the left wing. Not and and the reason people might go, well, oh, well, right. yeah, I'd have Teller on the on the right purely just because Redmond is as much as he's got his his haters, he is a player who will consistently track back and he will offer a support and an outlet, and he does have that experienced head. Otherwise, we're going to end up with a team of kids essentially up against Man United and we talked about when we played where the last game we ended up we ended up having so many 18 19 year olds on the pitch that they just didn't have the experience to see that game out and uh, and, and and keep the score down if you keep experienced heads on it we may end up losing by you know four goals to nil but it's really strange for this game well, are you comparing to the last Man United game or the last game we played against Everton no, the Man United game, uh, the last time we played. And to be honest, 
I'd take three. I'd take three or four nil in this game, as long as we just showed a bit of fight and the ability. You know, if they did score a couple of quick goals that we shut, you know, shut up shop, I would. I would take that. This is a game that if it was on a, you know, a football manager game or a FIFA, I want. I just want to sim it. I just want to sim it and get it out of the way. To be honest, I don't think we're going to get anything out of it. I'm not. I don't even know if I'm going to watch it at the moment. It's one of those where I might just see the updates on my phone, but. I'm so confident that we're not going to get anything from it that I just want to get it out yeah. of the way. And then we can have a week against Newport and Newcastle. And really we should be aiming for two wins. And that's, and also Newport, Newcastle, end of the transfer window. That is the week that we should basically see as our season starting and getting underway. If we get anything against Man United, that's a complete bonus. Yeah, I agree in some ways. I mean, at the end of the day, if, if, if we can get the best out of our players then there's no doubt that on our day we can beat Man United. Man United are not. They haven't, they haven't won the league in God knows how long. They had a good start. Let's not get like OTT on this. I know what they did to us last season, but there were you know other things around that. We won't get into it, but they are susceptible. You can get at them. And, and we have seen with pace and direct running up front, and, and pushing for it, we can certainly start the game well. What's difficult about Man United is that it's hard to know how they're going to line up because Pogba played off of the left-hand side. So I feel like it's difficult because what I would like to do is play with a flat-back four whose objective is to defend, to play Romeo and, and sit him on Fernandes, to play Ward-Prowse and sit him on Pogba, and then you've got Armstrong who can take the third runner or can double up on them. So that would be great if they played with, say, a McTominay holding with Pogba in the six and then and then uh, Fernandez as, as further forward as a number 10. But the fact that he played Fred McTominay again and he played Pogba out coming in off that left, I think it makes it harder to deal with Pogba because you're not going to ask your right back to follow him. So in that respect, you just kind of need players in the right areas in the midfield. So if he does come inside, someone's near him. Whoever is near him, deal with him. Um, so I'd much prefer if they played, which sounds strange because it would mean they'd have more attacking players. You know, you'd think, well, we'd prefer him to play with a double pivot so we'd have to worry about Fred and McTominay. And, and in a way, yeah, that is one less attacker to deal with. But I feel like Perot is going to have the out-and-out -out winger. He's going to have... Dan James, or more likely now Sancho, and, and they're going to provide the width. So he has to deal with them one-on-one. -on -one. Then the Greenwood is going to be the striker, and we have two centre-halves, so we should be dealing with it. And then what was happening was Greenwood was getting joined by Fernandez almost as a second striker at times, but I'd still want Romeo to be tracking that. So we've, we're outnumbering them defensively. And then... Whoever plays on the left, Walker-Peters can deal with it. If it's Pogba coming inside, then I'd, I'd, I'd still want... I think even if they played that way, I'd still want Ward-Prowse on that right-hand side of the three monitoring what Pogba does when we're against the ball. So, Romeo on Fernandez, Pogba, if he goes down the left wing, Walker-Peters is there to deal with him, but how often is he going to do that? You're probably more likely to say to Walker-Peters... Hand him off if he goes inside to Ward Prowse and watch for Luke Shaw bombing down that side because he's going to come at you. 
Um, so I do, I do feel like man for man, we have the players to deal with their threats. I think Romeo is good enough to stick to Fernandez and deal with that. The only problem is if he gets involved in what's happening with the ball, Fernandez is very cute and he'll get into a position where Romeo can't get close to him and it could you know, create a chance out, out of nothing. But if we're going to play that defensive way, and then we have Armstrong, and that's the difference. You then have Armstrong as that third attacker, that number 10 or another two number eights who can double up, who can push, press the ball, who can say to Romeo, yeah, go over and have the left back. I've now got Fernandez. And that's where that's the difference for me. You don't have that when you only have two men in the middle. They get overrun. And the and the wide tens, if they're in the vicinity, great, but they're not a lot of the time. So I personally would play I think Forster should be the goalkeeper, and I already thought that, regardless of what happened against Everton. No rotation. It just he's your number one. Um Salisu and Bednarek as our centre halves. And Perot and Walker Peters at fullback. Then Romeo as our holding midfielder with Armstrong and Ward Prowse as number eights, you know, on, on a bit of paper, maybe. But, you know, it's sort of one being box to box or, or two box to box, maybe one Armstrong being the one that pushes further to, to double up and, and, you know, two Armstrongs, you know, almost up front when we've got the ball. Um, but obviously, like I said, you've got your eye on Pogba then. Uh, one of the Maserati on Pogba. And then I would play... Um, I would play Teller and Livramento on the wings with... For this kind of game, I think Adam Armstrong up front. And I think Chad Adams is a brilliant option from the bench if we need... To change things, if we need to, if we need to push and go two up front, or if we just want to swap the striker. But what that gives us is Livermento will get back, and what that does for us is Man United's strength is on that left hand side. Shaw bombs on, Pogba comes in field, so we do want to try and flood that area. And Livermento obviously will track back because he's he's a defensive minded player, he's a right back. So suddenly you've got Walker Peters, Ward Prowse and Liveramento, all flooding that kind of left inside left channel for Man United. And I think that's that's the way to beat them. You've then got Romeo on Fernandez, and you've just got to hope that Perot can deal with Sancho. And if he can't, then you better hope that doesn't result in a, you know, a, a, a loss. But that, that's the way I would play. And then you've got Teller on the left-hand side, but Wan-Bissaka is not a player that he needs to worry about tracking. You almost you almost kind of play in a a four one four one, but Liveramento is kind of a, a, on an axis a bit because our right hand side will be deeper, and Teller might be that player who can kind of on the counter attack can can get towards uh, Adam Armstrong and maybe Stuart Armstrong can as well. So that that just sounds to me like it makes the most sense, and and you know we're not good enough to. Know that Man United worry about us, or that we do have to prepare ourselves to stifle them and, and, and then have our moments and have our periods in the game. But that, that's, that is how I, I feel we're best equipped to take on Man United. 
But at the end of the day, we know what will happen. We'll play 4-2-2-2. Fernandez, Pogba, whoever else is playing around there will flood our midfield and um, and we'll get beaten. Which <laughs> unfortunately the way I see it, because we don't change. You know, it's so it's so stubborn. It doesn't work. Um, and the more we keep doing it, and the more we keep uh, not learning from these mistakes, I feel like it's going to be more and more pressure on the manager. Yeah, yeah. And I think that what we're, what may change things a little bit for this particular game is that obviously it's going to be the first time that we're going to have yeah. a lot of fans at St. Mary's. Yes, they're going to be Man United fans as well. But Ralph got away, I think, with a lot last season because the fans were not there to see these abysmal performances the fans are going to let him know if we're four nil down at half time. The, it's going to be toxic. It's going to be really. That good? That's not a good thing, though, right? That, you're saying that like that's a like that's a positive. I mean, I, I, but it's, you, in terms of pushing him to make changes and do things ra rather than letting him know that we think he, he's shit and so is his team. <laughs> I think. I think. I want to say it, like it, more in a way of he. It might just trigger him into thinking I should probably make a change this isn't working because if you look we had those that horrendous run of defeats last season and there weren't any fans and I'm, I'm pretty sure that Ralph Hasenhutl doesn't scroll through Twitter so he wouldn't have really seen it and he probably would have been you know he would have been aware as a footballing person that that was an incredibly terrible run of results but he won't actually you know we, there weren't fans at outside the training yeah. ground, this he's going to see it firsthand. Um, how Mary's Mary's is you know, we, we know St. Mary's can quite easily turn into a frustrated place in the stands. You do hear moans and groans when the player does something wrong, and 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 they will the players and the manager will be able to tell that, that the fans are frustrated and they're not happy, uh, pretty quickly. And what you can guarantee is that if it's not going well or we're struggling, uh, but maybe we're still in the game and we get to 55, 60 minutes and we're under the cosh, there will be songs for players that are on the bench being sung throughout the stadium. You will hear the songs for, you know, if it's the same team that played Everton, for instance, which I, I don't think it should be, but you will hear Nathan Teller Stuart Armstrong songs being sung for the manager to hear and and that sort of thing although maybe you'd argue it shouldn't that sort of thing might might have an impact mm -hmm. um as you mentioned but yeah he he we we need to start he needs to start competing with these managers tactically um for all the good players he has I do think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as a manager you can compete with tactically if you try to um Obviously, he's just got an upper hand because he's well, he's got a better hand than than Hasner has. But yeah, I don't know what you think in terms of the way that I suggested we we maybe deal with it. You might yeah, you might want more of a two banks of or a bank of four and a bank of three, or you you said about a double pivot, um, which might be the case. But do you, would you would you suggest any other way that you could see us 
winning this game and, and, and any tweaks that you potentially make? I think we'd just try and make the distance between the midfield and defence as, as small as possible, just to make it as sort of as, um, as crowded when Man United try and break us down. Because if you can you make, the, I just want to see us, if they're going to score, I want us to see like that, make them work for it and not just slice us open at ease. I don't want us to be three nil down and for us to be like, Oh, what, well, I know we need to get back into the game. So let's throw everyone forward and then just get continually hit on the break. I want us to, you know, be difficult to break down and not a case of you get to two nil and you know, that's game over. Although I'm fairly sure if we were two nil down, that would be game over, but you know, I mean, I just, I'm sounding incredibly negative and I'm normally, I want to be as positive as possible, but it's just, it seems that no lessons have been learned. And I just, it's like carving a knife through butter at the moment for us and butter that's been out in the sun for a long, long time. <laughs> we did, we did see at times last season to give him some credit. We did see him learn his lesson in that for the first time that I can remember we we part the bus at times and this will be the first test of these um these practices that we've done in pre-season to improve our defensive side and uh, I, I felt at times last season we, we we were right to relieve ourselves of the ball and just make it difficult for teams to break us down but we went we went too far in that direction, and what happened was, uh, you see, other, I, I think you watch other teams and you think, how can they do it? How can I watch a, a game as a neutral and watch Liverpool versus Burnley, and Burnley sit in their own third for pretty much all the game, but never really look troubled? Yet when we do it, and it's not just Burnley, other teams as well, but when we do it. You're looking at your watch and you're thinking, bloody hell, it's only been three minutes since the last check my watch. And we, you know, we don't look like being able to, like we physically couldn't defend a 1-0 lead in the second half for five minutes playing that way. So I'd be interested to see what changes we've done. I'd want to go and I wouldn't want to be as defensive as that. I would want us to, because the problem we also have is it keeps coming back to us if all we're doing is defending. If we defend, it and clear it up the pitch, goes to Maguire or whoever's playing next to him, and they'll start again. And you can't do that for 45 minutes because they're too good. They have too many game changers. And only one thing has to go wrong for you to concede that one goal. And then, you know, we, we need to suddenly come out of our shell. What we do need is an out ball. What we do need is to be able to attract teams towards us, take that risk, be rigid, have the players in the way, but set these traps that we heard about when he turned up three years ago that we lasted about two months and we've never seen again. Set those traps, win the ball, and when we do, suddenly we're going at a, a back two or, or maybe a holding midfielder and, and there's space for us to go into and you beat teams on the counter-attack. And, and I feel like that's what he says we've been practising at, quick transition, defending better, and this will be a real test, I think, of what we've practiced over the summer. Um, and I feel, I feel you're right in that we will, we won't have much possession, and we will kind of relinquish control of the game for large periods in order to make sure that we, we're not butter left out in the sun, as you'd say. There aren't those gaps to exploit. 
make them work hard for it, but you have to carry a threat because if you don't, it's, it's 90 minutes of them trying to figure out a way through. And at the end of it, somehow they will. So you can't do that for 90 minutes. And if you, if you do have a good counter attack, you do have those options, Armstrong, both the Armstrongs, Teller, for instance, um, Livermento, if you can get forward, then there's something in the back of their mind where they're like, we can't fully commit because I need to worry about the guy I'm marking on this counter attack. And Pogba and Fernandes, for instance, won't do that. So, yeah, that, that's the way we need to play. And I think that is the way we will play. Like we will be defensive. We just need to make sure that the guys have, have drilled into them and they're organised to be playing on that kind of, not half and half, but you know, defend as well as you can, but counter. We're not defending, we're, we're counter-attacking. That's what we need to be doing on, on Sunday. And before we end, Callum, a prediction, a score oh. prediction. I think we'll lose. Um, and I don't think we'll score. <laughs> uh, that's the good part. Anyway, um, uh, I would say I think it will be a comfortable 3-0 win for Man United. I reckon we will score, but I don't know how significant it will be at the point that it's scored in the game. I'm going to go for a 4-1 win to Man United. So, um, if we, we can, have... We can... If we score, we'll score first. Oh, of yeah. course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Five minutes, and we'll and we'll fuck it up and, and and let them back into the game. That that's, I mean, that's just a standard bet, isn't it? Southampton to score first, but to lose. Yeah, I reckon you know go one nil up in the 89th minute, lose four <laughs> one. <laughs> oh goodness! As you can tell, we're incredibly positive um, about the game going forward. To a, a, a final point, I will I, I want to end up on is that this game isn't going to determine where we're going to finish at come the end of the season, and we then have a week with two games against Newport and Newcastle where we really should be getting two wins and maybe a little bit more of a positive outlook on the rest of the season. Yeah, it, no, we... I, I agree. The, 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 the performance is important. The performance yeah. is more important than the result. It's one of those games. I want to see a battle-hardened team. I want to see leadership, fighters, and I don't want to see us roll over. I want us to pack a punch. And if we lose by a couple of goals, then so be it. But don't get thrashed don't get rolled over and be competitive and play one of those games where you say, you know what, if we play against Newcastle like that next week, we'll beat them. It never works out that way because then we'll go up to Newcastle and play like shit. But that, that's, that's what I want from this. You know, I'm not, we're not expecting, like you said, this is a free hit in a way. And then our season starts with, with those next few games. Exactly. If you want to find the podcast, you can find us on Twitter at under underscore Saints. If you want to find me, it's at T214Murray. If you want to find me, it's at Callum Wilson 21. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, hopefully we get something on Sunday. Not expecting it, but if you're going to St. Mary's, enjoy it. Enjoy being back. Enjoy the atmosphere and hopefully enjoy the game. And uh, as always, stay safe. Stay wonderful. <laughs>